Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is Nick Orevsky from Bitcoin Reserve. I'd never heard of Nick. I'd never heard of Bitcoin Reserve, but I was put in touch with them. And I have been mightily impressed with what I have learned. And this makes me so damn bullish for the future of Bitcoin, because if there are more people like Nick out there, out of the limelight, building companies such as Bitcoin Reserve, then there's just no way we can lose. There's only one way to go. And there are companies out there doing things like this. I mean, look where like, Nidig came out of absolute nowhere to, um, to start offering amazing services. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this rip with Nick, a recent political refugee, which we get into, and learn all about Bitcoin Reserve. Before we get into the show, I want to thank you, all the plebs, and anybody else that is listening and sharing this around showing their respect and um, gratitude towards the guests that come on as well that's always you know, a brilliant thing to do so please reach out to those and thanks for listening thank you to the show sponsors coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten in europe relay r-e-l-a-i dot c-h forward slash bitten across the pond in the u.s you are covered by swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten you can use all of these services to auto buy or dca by weekly, by daily, small amounts, invest for your future. But then take control of your Satoshis. Get them on a hardware wallet. That is the next logical step for you to take. You can use one from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitum. The Bitbox 02 is a Bitcoin-only wallet. Enjoy this show with Nick. All right, okay, we're recording. Nick, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. Nice to meet you. I should be here. Likewise, Andy. So uh, before we um, before we jump into it, uh, that there's one thing that we were just talking about um, that I think uh, a lot of listeners would be interested to know um, about. Uh, what would you call political refugee? Would you say that is a, a, a correct terminology? Is that what's going on these days? Uh, I, I think so. Uh, there is a max exodus of people from all over the G7 nations and other areas in particular that have been extensively abused, in my opinion, by the powers that be. And I happen to be one of them, uh, residing in Canada up until just recently. And now I've uh, made my way east. And where have you found yourself? Because as I was explaining to you, that there's so many people uh, that I see cropping up on Twitter talking about, I am leaving this country, I'm leaving this country, I'm done, I, I can't take this anymore, and I'm off. But then it's usually a follow-up thread with, hmm, but to where? <laughs> but you've yeah. you found some, yeah. you, you got to a point in Canada, what was the final straw for you in Canada? You know what, for me, it was when Trudeau introduced the forced hotel stay, uh, forced quarantine, or as I like to call the mini internment camp, after you have to re-enter into the country. And that was something that put it so very clearly to myself 
if it wasn't already beforehand with the, the diminishing ability of one to control what they put into their own body. But perhaps we can dive into that topic a little bit later. It, it was at that point when I realized there had to be other places in the world where this type of, honestly, tyranny is less pervasive. And if not less pervasive, at the very least, one is able to conduct themselves within an environment in such a way as to mitigate these types of uh, controls, if you will, at, at least for now. And with regards to where that is, um, first and foremost, of course, none of the G7 nations. In fact, again, Canada is right now at the very top, along with UK, in terms of the strength of this transition or the Great Reset, as <laughs> the WEF calls it. And by the way, a tight side note, the WEF, it's become almost a running joke. If you look at any of the initiatives that are currently going on, all you have to do is look at the front man and then type in WEF and then 99% guarantee that they're going to appear in some way, shape or form, but neither here nor there. In terms of other locations, right now I found myself on the Adriatic coast and it's serving me well up to this point. There's still a lot of things that need to be done. In general, what I would advise anybody who's looking at other jurisdictions is to look in an area that is still developing. The reality of the situation is that we can't avoid what is happening here. It is a global change and the digital identity, the vaccine passport and the convergence of the biological and the digital self or the biodigital paradigm is a very interesting article that was published by one of the Canadian think tanks has listed is, is upon us. So what you can do at this point, in my opinion, really is find a jurisdiction that you are able to conduct yourself in such a way that you have more power as a citizen or as an individual. And that includes access to Bitcoin, that includes access to certain government policies that welcome digital nomads. And looking for those types of jurisdictions, in my opinion, is the best bet. But like I said, there's there's no running from this. It's we have we have to pick sides at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's nuts. And do do you want to keep secret the country that you chose, or are you happy to share? Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll share it. Yeah, I'm currently in Montenegro. Montenegro. So right, okay, and that's just south of Croatia. Uh, for those people trying to pinpoint it on a map, um, like uh, beautiful waters, the Adriatic coast, uh, amazing spot, beautiful scenery. I've never visited uh, Montenegro before. And uh, I have no idea of really anything about that country. Uh, what what's um, you, you clearly went down a lot of rabbit holes doing this kind of research. What kind of tools were you using when you were doing this research? Uh, obviously, surfing around and whatever else, but did you have other people there already or someone you could lean on for advice? Unfortunately, no, there's nobody here that we know. There is a small expat community, and this is similar in other nations as well. We usually meet on forums and other types of communication mediums. But in all honesty, my best resources have been, as they've always been in my life and in my business career, lawyers that are on location, people that are connected with the, the rule of law, so to speak, in various countries. And they usually have a pretty good bead of what's going on from a social perspective, as well as from a regulatory standpoint. So my thing was just find the biggest law office, give them a call, and then have a chat with them. And then subsequently find the second biggest, third, fourth, fifth. And then you have to go all the way from the very top to the very bottom and see what the difference 
in the replies are because obviously if you're going to a particular type of outfit they are going to have certain biases uh, to one side or the other and once you are able to communicate with all those individuals and of course you know you have to initiate at least some type of desire to move forward with them it's to get any kind of information you need to either start a corporation get a pr whatever the case might be but as you go through that process you start to understand more about the country and where it's been and most likely where it's going and one of the things that is in particular interest for me when it comes to montenegro is that it's been trying to get into the eu for forever uh, forever but everybody that i've spoken with they say that there's not a chance in hell <laughs> that they are going to make it and there's there's various reasons for it um chief among which is their in in inability to really have an economic contribution to the EU. Predominantly here, it's a tourism-based business, which has been incredibly impacted uh, by the recent events of the last two years, which is you know, another benefit actually to travelers because right now everything is dirt cheap in terms of stays. I mean, you can get a, I think a two bedroom apartment in Tivat, uh, Porto Montenegro, which is literally their kind of cream of the crop as well, the super yachts go, that's you know, kind of like the black pearl of the Russian oligarch is and uh, you, you can get it for about 1400 euros per month and it's it's pretty much like being in times square in new york right in, in terms of the real estate so and that's in you know that's of course in the off season there's other areas but it, the real estate here is, is incredibly affordable it is a developing nation after all but with that does come certain elements that people in the g7 countries might not be used to and that's particularly when it comes to being able to access commerce, uh, when it comes to the overall feel of certain areas, the areas that are developed, you can see that there's a bit of that Western influence, but as soon as you leave that, it is pretty much you know, what Serbia used to be, um, the Eastern European type of feel which is not the most aesthetically pleasant at times. So you have to kind of divert your gaze back to the sea and, and focus on that. But, you know, it, it, it comes with the territory. Mate, it sounds really uh, very interesting. We're going to have to come and um, how well connected is it? it it's, there's a good airport into many different locations? Yes, it's from Tivat Airport. You can get to anywhere you want. They actually have some of one of the largest hubs here in terms of connecting flights in and out in the entirety of the Adriatic coast of actually parts of the EU because this is a summer getaway for the entirety of Europe. Um, you can go find from Istanbul. I mean, I literally had a, you, there are direct flights from YVR to Tivat, right? They're just incredibly rare, but they do exist. And from Turkey, from the UK, from Singapore, I mean, you can get here very, very easily. You've probably got a lot of people thinking uh, I like your hack about going to the lawyers. I'd never, ever thought about that. I've not even considered it. Um, I generally find myself um, kind of surfing around digital nomad blogs or people like uh, Mikkel Thorup of the um, Escape Artist or Andrew Henderson. He has his own one, Nomad Capitalist. There's a Katie. Um, I'm going to butcher her surname, so I won't even say it. Uh, Katie the Russian. Who, uh, who helps people with uh, with passports in different jurisdictions and stuff. So, you know, this whole flag theory thing is really starting to take off. 
Uh, did you ever read The Sovereign Individual or are you just living it by, uh, by, you know, by virtue of doing what you're doing? Yeah, uh, the latter. I, I definitely am interested in more literature of that type. Right now, with so many things going on in my life and in the businesses, I have to be very selective with the things that I do, try to incorporate into my headspace, so yep. to speak. But I, I, at this point in time, I'm, I'm sad to say I have a book list that's probably over <laughs> 60 books that I've been needing to tear into. And, and, and I'm an avid reader. Like I, any chance I get, especially you know here when you get some time off, it's just beautiful to sit by the beach and read. But uh, yeah, I'll have to add that one to my list. All right. Well, let's get into uh, you know who you are and why you're here on a on a Bitcoin uh, podcast. But first, actually, what's the Bitcoin scene in Montenegro like? Uh, can, yeah, are there ATMs of, and stuff? Uh, uh, yeah, that's one of the other reasons. Yeah, that's one of the other reasons why this jurisdiction is up and coming. I would say it's not established just yet in the regulatory sense as well as in the infrastructure with Bitcoin ATMs and the such. But what's interesting is the finance minister has 95% of his wealth currently in Bitcoin. And he's an ex-Goldman Sachs guy, and he's pushing the country into this new digital world. So they have an archaic system where, you know, it's kind of golden visa. I'm sure people are familiar with that term. And this is now on the way out. It's ending actually this year. And in order to try to attract more talent from the tech space, you know, in particular blockchain, <laughs> But uh, we'll refer to that as, as Bitcoin from here on in. They are putting forward some interesting initiatives starting middle of next year, where they're going to incentivize people to come and work, to come and stay. Uh, you'll have a much easier time you know, getting PR and eventually possibly citizenship as well. It's not going to be the same as before where you pay a lump sum of money and you get a visa. It's still going to require you to establish a business here, an enterprise of sorts, work for a certain period of time. Much more legitimate, in my opinion, than a golden visa. And I think that breeds the right type of influx of talent, if you ask me. So there's initiatives moving forward in that direction, and they are incredibly crypto friendly. Right now, there is no regulation whatsoever. So it's you know basically a gray zone as, as with other areas around the world where there's nothing against it. But you try go opening a bank account with some of the you know, kind of the bigger banks that are here, and they're just not going to have anything to do with you as soon as you go into that direction. But once the regulations do come, and I, I've spoken about this in, in several other occasions, regulation is one of those things where it's a double-sided sword. On the one hand, you need a basic framework for the companies to establish themselves and have an assurance of a longevity in their establishment. But on the other, if there's no direct communication with the regulators, with the community, and some way to quickly tap the brain capital, if you will, or the brain trust of the community to try to answer and create legislation, and then you get situations like the US, for example, or other areas where it just cycles innovation and everybody, everybody leaves, essentially. So long story short, I would give it another two years before it really starts to become, get itself on the map. But I hope to be part of that in moving it forward. And perhaps also from Bitcoin reserve side, there might be some possibility of future interaction with this jurisdiction as well. Um, the, the finance minister, this is very exciting. So we have another person high up the ladder. I mean, he's not the president like in El Salvador, uh, but you know, there's somebody here very high up 
within you know within earshot of the right people whereas 95 percent of his wealth his own wealth in bitcoin with a market's background this only moves in one direction that, that there's <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, are you guys having dinner every week i mean how close are you <laughs> it's funny but again it is through the connection of the allah office here that i'm interacted with they within porto montenegro which is kind of their new economic development zone they have interacted with the finance minister to set up all of the infrastructure from a real estate perspective so they have a pretty good one-on-one -on -one connection with him right now i'm trying to get a chance to speak we'll see if that facilitates into anything within this coming month. Um, if there is, that's definitely going to be one of the things that I'm going to be looking forward to as well. Well, if you do, and uh, you know, mention the Once Bitten podcast, he's welcome to come on if he wants Sounds to, uh, if he wants to sing the praises of his country and uh, attract more people there, then happy, I'd love to get to chat with him and uh, you know, see, what's, uh, see what's going on there. But let's talk about you, your background, uh, and then we'll talk about your company, Bitcoin Reserve. Uh, so what's the lowdown? Um, I know you told me this before, and I can tell from your surname, you, you're, you're Russian by, um, by birth or not? Like, what, what's the story there? That's right. I'm Russian by birth. I lived in the, U the USSR at that time uh, from the age of newborn to five. And then my family up and left and moved over to the United States into Texas, actually, of all places. We stayed there for, I think it was maybe eight or 10 years, moved our way up into the middle uh, Midwest, or I should say middle Midwest, central of the United States into Kansas. And my father's always been in the tech industry. So I kind of learned by osmosis, you know, always been open to new technologies. I, our, our household in Russia was the first one to have the most very basic kind of in our you know communist style building <laughs> an actual working computer right uh, my grandpa was a theoretical physicist and he worked on nuclear lasers you know kind of very highly educated academic so we were privileged to have access to that and my dad got bitten by that bug so he wanted to establish a business but then realized that you cannot own your business in russia and you know fortunately that's still true to this day even despite the falling of the iron curtain so that's why he moved over to the united states i followed along with him and then my high school career led me to canada and that's when i started to apply for citizenship kind of long term change right from that red passport that you literally get stopped at every single border with that thing i mean you you might as well just you know stamp a word bomb on your forehead <laughs> with that thing unfortunately and yeah so applied for canadian citizenship and uh, that was acquired by the end of my university career which i went to u of w and then i met my lovely wife uh, and we decided you know what ontario is sorry guys we live there boring shithole <laughs> outside of Waterloo where there's a tech hub, Blackberry and everything else. But it is still a backwater town, in my opinion. Our sites were out west and we're very outdoor oriented individuals. We value what we put into our body. We value the nature and the pristine air that is around us and that we breathe. So we decided to go to BC and uh, we up and left after our very quick honeymoon. Um, in the back country of Ontario. And we made our way over to Vancouver. And then that around that time during that transition at, at the end of 
2012, early 2013, that's when I actually started participating in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Before that, I, I learned about it really quickly from a friend, but again, nothing really too concrete at that time. In my opinion, it was okay, another e-gold, you know, didn't understand it whatsoever, just discounted it. But during the transition, I had some more time to think. Yeah, again, new place, didn't have any work, just said, fuck it, like, let's go, see what happens, try to find whatever it is there. And at that point, I started to dive deeper into what Bitcoin really could be. Uh, I read the white paper through and through, and then I started to think what the implications of this could be, should this take hold. You know, dove into the forums, uh, bitcointalk.org, all that fun stuff, and it just kind of never turned back from there. And I should mention that my background is economics and finance, that's what I did in school, uh, traded gambled, <laughs> I should say it was a more proper term all throughout my high school and uh, university career before I started to really implement a, a proper strategy and understand the difference between trading and investing, which is another interesting topic and one of the main reasons kind of why we launched into Bitcoin Reserve, but I'll, I'll get there in a little bit. And so having this background and looking at the opportunity that Bitcoin provided, not just in terms of the number go up and the fact that it's a deflationary asset, but in the ability to see data that I, as a retail trader, was never able to see because I, I don't have, what is it, two grand, four grand to spend on a Bloomberg terminal just to see level two, which for those watching who may not know is the order bit in depth and the book information, how many people are sitting on what side. And some of the others called level two information that's available there. And this was just flat out, boom, right there, <laughs> available on any exchange. This is de facto in the Bitcoin world. So. I thought, hey, you know, maybe that'll give me an edge. And it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It only just made me more confused and try to understand what and how the markets function. That's when I started to dive in. Okay, how do the exchanges operate? What are all the players involved in? How, how do they provide liquidity? What is liquidity? And understanding the entire ecosystem as a whole. And then as I was doing that, it kind of really gelled with my background in terms of analytics, which was what I was doing to make money on the side was basically doing research on any kind of company that might be available. If people had specific sectors that they wanted me to do a deep dive into, that's what I would do. I decided, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this in the Bitcoin space. And I used what proceeds I was able to generate from my trading activity, which at that time wasn't that much, but enough for me to go to United States and some other countries to go to all, to all the meetups. And that's when I was able to really, really fall in love with the space. Before it was, you know, kind of a personal interest, financial interest. But when I started to meet people in it, that's when I was like, okay, this is home. This is me. This is this is where I need to be. And uh, one of the people that I happened to meet early on was uh, Paul Pui, who's uh, the CEO of Airbits. Now I think they renamed it to Edge. And I was providing the same type of analytical services to them. Eventually ended up working with them. The company out of California. So uh, they're a wallet. At that time, they're more of a security platform now. But through there, I was able to just kind of continue on moving through into the space. And then I worked at an exchange in Vancouver. Actually, that's where I met Yuri in my current partner in Bitcoin Reserve. And then after that, I worked at an incubator very briefly as well. Happened to meet some interesting individuals there. And from that point on, I kind of set my sets back to California met with a couple individuals that were you know ex Goldman Sachs Wall Street type of guys and they wanted to set up a fund so we searched the world we scoured the world and this is where my expertise in terms of the regulatory infrastructure and like I said you know my little hack for contacting the lawyers it's, it comes from practice as with things in life 
we searched all around the world uh, from Singapore to Isle of Man to Africa to God knows where in the world. And most of the answers that we ended up getting was people saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, you can do kind of whatever you want. This is a completely new industry. It's now around 2016, roughly end of 2016, early 2017. We have no rules. It's kind of a gray area. But, you know, in, in a couple of years, we can't say that uh, what you're doing here won't send you to jail. Okay. Um, not the path that we want to go down. And that's when we quickly realized, all right, we have to pick a jurisdiction that has at least some type of established regulatory framework. And at that time, Liechtenstein was uh, the prime and shining example. And it actually still is today. And we got into contact with Thomas Degeli and Degeli Law in that particular area who actually authored the Blockchain Act in Liechtenstein, a very, very great firm, um, very technologically oriented, very forward thinking, even at that time. So we got together with them. Uh, they helped us set up the infrastructure. Um, we were with Bank Frick at the time, which was a, a private bank and some people might know of it in the space currently. And uh, we set up an AIF, which was an alternative investment fund. The downside is the way that the regulation works in Liechtenstein is it only ended up being a long only fund. So for those watching, long only means only buying Bitcoin, which you think, you know, actually not a bad idea if you're looking for long-term investment capital. The problem is that 2016, 2017, that was the ICO craze. Uh, that's when that whole ecosystem was starting to blow up and unsolicited uh, gathering for investment uh, was, was the name of the game. So nobody wanted to be in a fund that was kind of focused on just pouring old Bitcoin. And to top that off after we were done everything, that was starting to go into late 2017, early 2018, which uh, those are who've been around since that time is when the bear market hit. And I don't think you want to go long, especially with large sums during that period of time, especially when you think it's over, right? Bitcoin, obituaries.com or something along those lines lists Bitcoin dying maybe even over 500 times at this point. Um, but that was another one of those major times where Bitcoin's dead, everything's going to hell, you know, run for the hills. So had to pivot away from that venture. It wasn't something that was sustainable in the long term. I got into contact with Yuri. I came back to Vancouver. I was like, hey, you know what? Okay. What, whatever we got here, he was just uh, finishing up at a private brokerage firm uh, there as well. And we got together, oddly enough, just on my birthday. And we spoke about, you know, what, how was your experience? How was my experience? And he had a brokerage background as well from the beginning, kind of doing OTC type of transactions. And me coming in, having set up all these infrastructures all over the, all over the place, we got together and said, hey, now let's make a business that focuses on an asset that we know is going to be here for the entirety of our lives and further into our generations, which is Bitcoin. And let's do a Bitcoin only OTC desk. Like, okay, boom, great. So then we did the same type of search that we did early on with the AIF, but now with Yuri in terms of jurisdiction. And we actually settled on Estonia. And one of the main reasons why we did that is because Estonia has a new residency. So us being digital nomads, Yuri being similar like mine, and we wanted to be able to operate the company regardless of where we are in the world. Your residency allows you to do that. And for those people who might not know, Canada is not part of the, what is known as the Hague Convention, which means that every single document that you want to sign, you actually have to first notarize, then you have to make sure that that notary is an approved notary, meaning you have to send it to the BC Law Society or the Notary Society, which is another fee, usually about a hundred bucks. And then from there, you have to wait three to four weeks before it gets sent to Ottawa and approve that this whole process was legitimate, sent back to you. So imagine this is just one signature. If you're doing a director's resolution or anything dead basic, you need to do that every single time if it's a company that's outside 
of Canada. So with that, um, <laughs> it's very difficult to operate efficiently and e-residency allows you to do that. Uh, you can sign it digitally, there's digital certificates and all of that other fun stuff. So from that perspective, it was very advantageous. And then they actually had infrastructure uh, from a regulatory standpoint that was very clear to what we wanted to do. And that, as I said, is one of the keys in establishing a business that is going to be there for a substantial period of time. So we settled on, on that. Um, and another kind of quick footnote is if anybody's looking to set up in actually Liechtenstein uh, of, of all places, it is incredibly expensive, like, like egregiously expensive. You have 50,000 paid in capital just for the AG, then you have 20 to $30,000 worth of legal fees. Then you of course have the travel fees uh, because again, you wanna be there if, if you're in Canada, if you're Canadian, you're not part of the Hague Convention. And then the, all these costs start to rack up, uh, not even getting to how to try to stay there for a long period of time. So it just wasn't an efficient thing for us. We bootstrapped the entire company. Uh, there was one family and friend was kind enough to, to lend us a hand during this point, but it's it's all from our own individual resources. And we didn't have that cash, to be honest with you, to set up in Liechtenstein. We would have wanted to, but uh, we didn't. We were able to secure banking there from our previous relationships, but that didn't last long because uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to, you know, bad mouth uh, the, the banks there, but let's just say early on in that area, considering Bitcoin is even still to this day considered a high risk business, they charge insane fees, especially if you don't know those people face to face and you're coming in kind of as a blank slate, you're going to get charged up the ass. So that's where we ended up settling in Estonia. Uh, layer two brokers OU was formed, which is the formal name of the company. Later, we branded into Bitcoin Reserve. We did OTC from uh, the company's formation in 2018 until um, just recently, actually, about now two weeks ago, I would say, and we were OTC only. And then two weeks ago, we launched a retail version of our product, which is called Flash Trade. Allows anybody to buy up to $50,000 worth of Bitcoin and we don't hold any custody. Everything is delivered directly to the client. Um, not your keys, not your coins. We learned that the hard way <laughs> in our experience in this industry. And uh, that's where we are now. Mate, wow, that's, that's quite the journey. Um, all right, a, a few, a few stories, uh, excuse me, a few questions. Uh, the e-residency you mentioned, going back to what we were talking to uh, about at the beginning of the show and people looking for, well, th th this sounds like uh, a bit of a digital nomad's dream. It, it, you know, is it as easy as it sounds? I mean, you, you can just become a resident of Estonia with a couple of clicks. What, what, what's the... Catch. Yes, you can, but it's more of an administrative advantage rather than an actual advantage to living there. It doesn't grant you any value, like for example, like getting a PR in Canada, right? You still need to have a visa, you need to have the Shenzhen or Schengen, whatever the, the visa yeah, is Schengen. for the EU. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you still need that if you want to stay in the country for more than 90 days. It, it doesn't change anything from a living perspective. All it does, it just makes administrative work much easier. So if you're trying to go into that direction with e-residency, that's not what Estonia is for. Estonian e-residency is at least. Right. Got it. All right. So Bitcoin Reserve. So how does it work? What's the, um, yeah, what, what, what's the pitch for, for the listeners that uh, first, this is the first time they're learning about you and your company? 
what's the pitch? Uh, actually, I, I went to Draper U in California and uh, they, they said the elevator pitch and they gave the story as to how it actually originated of some literal Silicon Valley dude in an elevator. Um, so I actually am going to butcher it. I'm going to take a different approach. Our, it's, it's not a one-liner. Uh, we, we like long form on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not something that can be described uh, in an elevator because you first have to induct people into Bitcoin. Right. The, the, the first and foremost thing that I would say is we are Bitcoin only and we're going to be like that for the entirety of our company's life cycle, which hopefully is, is going to be into the decades and if not more. Did that what take like one trying... second to decide between you and Yuri? Like, yeah, what, yeah, what, it was, it was, yeah, it was, was that, was there, there was no question. <laughs> right. So Bitcoin only. Okay. Like point number yeah. one, complete. Okay. Point number two, what next? <laughs> <laughs> point number two is that we ourselves have had issues in the past hopping from you know one exchange to another, trying to find a service provider that is going to stand the test of time. Primarily the issue is that infrastructure is very difficult to develop and takes a lot of time. And that's where we focused our energies early on, which is why a lot of people don't know about us, uh, even though we've been around since 2018, it's because we spent a better portion of 2018, 2019, just securing relationships with banking infrastructures, with liquidity providers in order to be able to provide our customers the best market depth or ability to buy Bitcoin without slippage, as they call it, as we can in large sums. So that's where our core focus originally was. And that's what we wanted to provide a quick and easy way for individuals to purchase Bitcoin in an environment that they felt comfortable with. So for us, if you're a high net worth individual and you're with our concierge service, it's through the phone. It's very simple to interact with one of our agents, it's 24 seven. And you feel kind of uh, like you have a direct connection, which you actually do to everybody in the company, including the founders ourselves. We're monitoring those all the way and interacting with it as we go. It's, it's a personal experience. And when you're dealing with that amount of money, it's difficult to go through a anonymous website somewhere online, right? It's, you need that personal connection. And, Yuri coming from the brokerage space uh, back in the day when you could still meet with people, <laughs> right? Uh, without being muzzled or whatever the case might be. That personal connection was part of the ethos of what we wanted to put into the company as well. And that's how Concierge was formed. Later on, we started to realize that Bitcoin needed to be spread to not just those with you know substantial assets under their belt, but those people who are just starting to get a financial footing or even those people that might not have one, but need one, desperately need one, as a result of what's currently going on in the last two years uh, with the, everybody says printer goes burr, but it's it's way more complicated than that. It's, it's a movement from modern monetary, or from old economic theory to modern monetary theory and how the actual money is being created. But uh, I, I, I digress. The point is, is that the, the average individual also needed a way to purchase Bitcoin, to acquire Bitcoin in a way that was secure and in a way that retained as much privacy as possible. And that's one of the other tenants that we have in terms of our infrastructure while still being able to retain those funds themselves. So that's when we decided to develop a retail offering. We went through several iterations, uh, several partners early on that just weren't able to come up to snuff from a technological perspective. But eventually we were able to find some wonderful engineers and uh, launch what we have now as flash trade, which is essentially being able to purchase Bitcoin through our platform, anything under $50,000, pretty much a couple of clicks. One of the things that we focus on again is usability and user experience. So one of the 
biggest issues that we had seen so far is that QVC process. It's lengthy, it's boring, it's tedious. It just turns you off. You know, you get on excited about Bitcoin, you read something and then you're like, all right, how do I get into it? Then you go to the site, then it's a laundry list of things that you got to do. You got to wait so long to receive a reply from their compliance desk, whether it's going to happen or not. And that's one of the issues that we aim to solve. And we partnered with a company called SumSub. And the verification is incredibly quick. Uh, our average is between three to five minutes in terms of the average verification from sign-on to actual um, finalization of those procedures. And being a, a fully kind of regulated entity, we have everything there that is necessary for us to continue operating kind of for the foreseeable future. And from there, it's simply kind of a one-click, uh, two clicks technically, because you have to input how much you want to purchase Bitcoin itself. So that's the longest version <laughs> of my elevator pitch. All right. So let's, um, let's ask you about uh, liquidity providers. Um, you, you plugged into like some big exchanges. Uh, what, what's, what's behind the scenes there? Yeah, I mean, with, without going kind of too deep into the secret sauce, that's really where a lot of the value comes from is how deep you're able to access the liquidity providers. There are I'll talk in general terms, um, what is available to most OTC desks and exchanges at this time. And first and foremost, as you mentioned, yes, you can go to some of the bigger exchanges, Bitfinex, Bitstamp, uh, Coin, <clears throat> and you can open a business account yeah, with them. Yeah. <laughs> and Nicely done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, go ahead. And, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and once you have those business relationships established, it's, it's pretty easy. You do have to take the counterparty risk of storing funds there in order to be able to transact fluidly if you want to provide the customer a quick turnaround time, right? Not having to wait 24 to 48 hours, if not more, for international wire. Sometimes they'll get stuck in compliance and then you do the trade and then you send it back and only then you send the money. No, like it, no, no client will ever be interested in that. So you have to have floats available on those exchanges. That's one way. The other way is you actually connect with other OTC desks. So these things are more known as dark pools. And within those dark pools, it's essentially a more or less closed loop ecosystem where you put out a bid, hey, I have this much to buy, I have this much to sell. And then you have a counterparty kind of come in and say, yeah, I have that available or I have part of that available. And then somebody else might come in and say, oh, I have the other part available. And that's how these infrastructures work. And there's platforms right now that exist that connect these types of desks into these dark pools. And then you have the third type, which are, I would like to call aggregators or liquidity aggregators, which is essentially a company that focuses solely on the acquisition of as much liquidity partners as possible. And then they provide you with a service where you just sign up to them and that's it. You don't have to worry about anything else and they will route your trades through their engine. They'll make sure to give you the best price that they possibly can. And those are the three options available to most businesses that are operating, you know, either an OTC desk or something similar to that. Very cool. Dark pools. I, I, it's like whoever chose that marketing name is like not great. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, it was created are... by the Wall Street guys. So <laughs> take what you will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But great tools. I mean, just a, a huge pool of liquidity that um, you know that you can uh, pull from, which is uh, which is brilliant. All right, I, I want to walk through like a, a user experience. Um, but first of all, for people living in the UK, are you euro only or accept accept sterling? How, how does this work? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's an that's an interesting question that we're still massaging. 
technically, according to our regulatory framework, outside of you know the the red zones such as North Korea and similar, we can actually operate globally in terms of being able to interact. Where it gets difficult is depending on what currency the customer wants to interact with. So certain banks have their own certain restrictions, like for example, at a New York Signature Bank, which is one of our partners, um, they are fully beholden by OFAC, uh, which is their compliance list. So Mexico is now for some reason, well, sorry, I shouldn't say on OFAC, but it's on their version of the OFAC list, which is another even layer. There's the basic OFAC, and then there's the layer that they add on top. Mexico now has fallen into that jurisdiction. So all of a sudden now we can't transact in US dollars with Mexican um, nationals. So while we can operate globally, it's a very case by case as to what the client would like to do and what currency they would like to do it in. Currently, we support USD and Euro and from the majority of the regions in the world, you know, against sans those restricted countries. We have a, a, a full kind of list of countries that we are able to work in, and that's always constantly being updated. That's our concierge for flash because the current regulations with the AMLD5, which is the EU regulations that currently came out, there are specific limits on what you can do and what amounts you can transact before you have to engage in higher levels of identity verification. Uh, for example, like live video identification and things like that. So because of that, um, our flash trade, which is automated in terms of the uptake, the KYC process, right? We don't send it to our compliance where we do our own due diligence kind of from a, a personal perspective. It all gets done automatically, which is why it's so quick. Um, that's only restricted to the EEA for the time being. But we're seeing how we can adjust those frameworks to be able to incorporate clients from the UK as well as other areas of the world. So if somebody wanted to use Flash in the UK, I'm thinking Revolut is the answer, right? You just um, load up some sterling on your Revolut, you switch it to Euro, and then I can purchase Bitcoin with my it's, Euro it, on my Revolut account? Yeah, the thing is, it's not, a, it's not about the currency. It's not about the underlying currency. It's the fact that your identity verification will label you as a UK citizen. Right. As soon as that happens, then automatically there is a different process that needs to be taken in terms of compliance from the auto compliance perspective. And then you're just not able to even sign up on the platform currently as a flash trade client. Bummer. Yeah. But we're working, we're working on that. So that's that's one of the other things that I'd like to mention is we are there right now to we're not big, we're not huge. Again, we we are not X. Wall Street, this or that type of people, and we don't have all of this stuff developed in the back end where we can just slap, copy and paste it and slap Bitcoin on top. We're, we're building all this organically, all this from scratch. And in that, we've learned that slow and steady wins the race. Again, uh, we have a lot, we have we have a very, very keen sense for what Bitcoin is. And in that way, we have a very long time preference, right? Mm -hmm. So we do the same thing in our business. We have a product that's available. It's very, very basic, but then we work to make it better, expand it and grow it over time. And that's our philosophy for the business, it's philosophy for our own personal investments. And that's how we operate here. So in that regards, same thing with Flash. Yeah, it's just in the EEA for now, but we're working to make it better, to improve it every day. And we hopefully will get more feedback from users and different areas like, hey, can it be made available here? And based on those analytics, we'll be able to work into that direction and, and move that product forward and making it available there. Same for concierge or is that something different? No, yeah, so concierge is different. Yeah, it's a different uptake process altogether. Um, right. It's done via, via 
not the automated system. Uh, you can be either an institution, aka a company, or you can be a private individual. You contact us via the form that's available on our website, and then we will go through the process with you. It's uh, more lengthy, um, definitely is not as quick in, in, in making sure that everything is all prim and proper on the KYC side, but those are larger sums that we're dealing with, so that kind of comes with the territory. Let's walk through that scenario because I'm sure there's people, um, I don't want to label people, to, but in my mind, I'm thinking maybe there's Gen Xs or Boomers particularly that uh, are going to fall into the kind of um, customer demographic that you might have thought about when um, you know dreaming up concierge. Uh, so if you've got somebody sitting in, in the UK or across Europe um, who, are think, who are thinking longer term, and you know that maybe they've had a property sale or something or they've just got a bunch of inheritance or they've got a bunch of uh savings from a, a lifetime career that they want to protect and, and store their value and fifty thousand, i think you said is is like the that's where you start the concierge discussion right okay so let's say somebody's in that position they they contact you walk us through what uh, what the conversation would be and uh, the kind of sign up process would be how long it would take and um, the like the kind of education you could help them with as well because these these guys may be noobs or ladies whoever's coming in that's it. right that's right and you know that's one of the things that we had understood early on and we have a sister website if you will it's called the bitcoin reserve journal where we publish things strictly related to bitcoin education and in particular, it's for those who are willing to take the dive, but maybe not necessarily have a full on comprehensive view of what this thing can be and where it's going. So that's one of the resources that we provide to anybody who signs up into concierge. Right now, it's publicly available for everyone, but that's likely going to change in the near future as we start to have content available there in a more regimented fashion. And that will be as a value add service that we provide to all concierge clients who work with us. But the process is, is actually fairly straightforward. You contact us via the email form that is available there. Um, one of our associates will reach out to you and then you will most likely get on a call to see what the investment uh, goals are of the particular individual. After that, there is a submission of the KYC documentation um, via our secure portal. And that is dependent on its about 24 to 48 hours of approval if it's an individual. If it's a company, then it takes longer. And then we have to dig deeper in terms of actually doing the beneficial owners and all of that other fun stuff that the EU requires of us to do. Um, once that is complete for a company, it can take anywhere up to four to five days, depending on the complexity of the structure and everything else. And once that is complete, it's, it's as simple as uh, deciding how much you want to send and we give you the required information, our banking information, or how much you want to sell, which hasn't happened very often, to be honest with you, <laughs> but that option is available there as well. So we either give you our banking information or our Bitcoin address, and then the funds are delivered and we do the trade on your behalf and then deliver the funds straight back to you. So pretty straightforward in that regard. So you're helping people understand a, a hardware wallet as as well, um, because uh, like you said, you, you're not taking custody yet, right? Yes. If, if there's any questions with regards to setup of the technical details, uh, we have wonderful staff who are able to field those conversations. And that's part of the value add service that we have with concierge is that you're free to ask us questions. Like you're not there, you know, we're not just, you sign up to an exchange and you're at the OTC desk where it's like, okay, you just throw out numbers and they give you quotes and then they send you money. No, 
Uh, you can actually ask legitimate questions, you know, how does this work, how does that work? Now, do note that we are not financial advisors, so people often ask for investment advice, which is not something that we can give. Um, that's outside of the bounds of what we offer, but in terms of educational content, uh, we're very happy to help set up the Help, help one set up the infrastructure in terms of the hardware wallets, guide them to what is available and what we believe is trusted. And those are actually some of the partnerships that we have in the works um, as of currently that we're trying to work with in the future um, because it aligns very well with just the many questions that we get asked all the time about those things. And KYC wise, what, what would people uh, expect to, you know, well, are expected to bring to the table uh, with regards of uh, verification, identification and uh, administrative BS? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So with regards to an individual, um, it's actually basic. It's proof of address. It's your passport. And uh, depending on the region, it could also be a questionnaire. And I mean, a questionnaire, I mean, literally like one question <laughs> of source of funds as well. And depending on the sums of the frequency and the volumes, there are times, you know, admittedly when banks have asked us for further documentation, but again, those are the banks, not us. Um, from a regulatory framework, it's very basic. For in an institution, it's pretty comprehensive. I would say you go from the same personal identifying information then you have to add the list of beneficiary owners, uh, what's the share structure like, the bank accounts that you're going to be transacting in, and some other details as well. But all, all that is available. Again, if you contact us, we can send you that list very, very quickly. It's probably not worth trying to write it down <laughs> as I'm blabbering on about all these requirements. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the only reason I ask is because of the KYC creep that um, people are experiencing in the UK at the moment. I've seen people having problem with Barclays. Uh, Peter McCormack from the what? Bitcoin did podcast. He he lost all of his banking access with Lloyd's TSB um, because of his connection to Bitcoin. Um, there's always KYC creep across the exchanges, and people are getting very very sick of it. Um, and then you have the hardcore privacy guys, obviously, that um, uh, will, will will do whatever they can to 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 buy Bitcoin in a, a completely private manner. Um, I guess with, with your kind of client, I mean, companies can never do that. There, there's just no way in the world a corporation would be able to do that. And uh, I, I'm imagining high net worth individuals um, and, and of the older generation as well. Uh, there's, look, you're not going to go and find somewhere to buy 50,000 pounds worth of, of Bitcoin completely privately, I don't think, in, nope. in one hit. Uh, you yeah. know, you're going to have to use some kind of service like yourself. There's there's always a bit the counterparty risk when you're doing those types of transactions and you want to remain anonymous. It's it's very, very difficult. Most people that decide to go in that direction, they usually like to tranche things out right over time. But that could be difficult based on market conditions. And you expose yourself, of course, to you know having to even perhaps travel or visit those areas on the web uh, in order to complete that transaction. One other thing that is important to note, and I'll try to try to say this as delicately as possible because uh, it, it, it is nuanced to a certain degree. So with us, in terms of the KYC documentation, um, that is stored in a manner such that it is very difficult to retrieve um, by any one actor. So 
if there is some situation where a client is deemed a risk by a third party, there is no way that we can provide that information without a legal action within our jurisdiction from that third party to access that information. So nicely done. If you want, yes, yeah. So that that's that's oh yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. I I I, I uh I get the sense you had uh your your finger on the pulse there and uh were very active in in setting these little um pathways up with your experience of uh going from lawyer to lawyer to lawyer uh That's i've nice. only been speaking to you for like the last hour but i'm kind of getting a feel for uh your your professionalism <laughs> and <laughs> you pick up a thing or two along the way <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So that's good to know. Yeah, that that's very interesting. So it's kind of like uh, the the, way, the the feel I'm getting for it is, um, you know, you're, you're you're welcome to come and use the Flash Trade app, and uh, you know, buy. Um, that'd be very difficult with sterling for for now, but uh, with with euros, if you're uh, based in a European uh, jurisdiction, and you've got a kind of white glove service uh, for uh, fifty thousand uh, and above, which I think is a very interesting prospect for those people. That are in that situation that are you know looking to plan inheritances and uh you know such like for generational wealth to pass down to people and have it done in a professional manner with actual people on the other end of the line actual bitcoiners with a, uh, a bitcoin only company who have gone to the lengths that you have gone to kind of cover as many tracks as possible and uh you know this company's been around like you said since 2018 i hadn't heard of you like uh what's been going on you've, you've done this very slowly and very deliberately clearly that's right that's right um one of the issues that we've seen in the past and, and i've experienced is actually growing too fast and not being able to provide those services at a rapid you know at a scale so to speak so we've been very cautious in terms of like i said setting up the infrastructure and making sure that whatever comes our way we can say yes to and there's no request that we are not able to fulfill. And especially if that starts to come in in volume, we don't want to have an experience where we're offering this white glove product and have it come back and not work as, as it is as expected, right? There's a certain level of professionalism that needs to be carried forward in a product that is targeted at that audience, uh, that those individuals. And if that's not met, then your reputation is blown. And for us, reputation is everything. As, as it is in the Bitcoin space, word of mouth is the best way. And frankly, we are just kind of coming into this aspect of revealing ourselves to the world, so to speak. Um, but with that will also come added pressure from various third parties. And we have to have the capital there to be able to, frankly, deal and defend ourselves right from those particular things and if that's not in place again the business its longevity is under threat so we wanted to make sure to have all that unlocked prior to really uh releasing ourselves if you will to, to the greater public mate it's great I, I think it's awesome that uh yeah you've just uh come out of nowhere and you, you like you don't even have a twitter presence so like you this is you know it's growing slowly the last two weeks but yeah <laughs> i mean you personally uh, oh me yes yeah yeah, yeah no uh, which um gives me even 
greater hope and makes me even more bullish because I think, you know, the, those of us that hang out on, on Bitcoin Twitter and throw memes at each other and, um, you know, argue with the mainstream economists or the modern monetary theorists and keep them in check. Uh, you know, it's, it's great fun. And you feel as though like, that's the people, that's the community, you know, where's everyone else. And there's people like you out there that are not part of that circus of building incredible services quietly in the background professionally as well. This isn't a great big kind of hoo-ha venture capitalist kind of backed, you know, fast to market entrepreneurial, all singing, all dancing, flashy app. This is, this feels completely different and yeah, I'm bullish. <laughs> we are too. And the way that I describe it is organic, right? I mean, this coincides with who we are. It coincides with who works with us internally is we very much value what we put into our bodies, what we put into our business. And the best way to describe it, both growth wise and what we're moving forward is again, we want to be real, <laughs> no bullshit, right? Just Bitcoin. And we're not here to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. If there is anything that we want to be is transparent, right? And that at times could be difficult as a corporation, because the more that you reveal about how you operate, what you do, the more you're putting yourself out there and prone to attack. But like I said, we've thought ahead in terms of what those things and potentials can be. And we're, we're, we're hopefully ready and able to deal with that <laughs> as it comes. Yeah, let's hope so. What's, um, there's one other thing that I wanted to come back to, which I think is very important. You mentioned, uh, like the difference between trading and investing. Now I think for most people, most of the plebs listening, um, they're like, yeah, it's, it's just a blurred line. But, but for me, they are two completely different things. And uh, I learned it the hard way, as, uh, as many yeah. of the best lessons in life are learned. What's your take on that? And what's your message to people that are, you know, considering investing in Bitcoin or already have a bit of a stack and uh, are looking to add to it? Yeah, first and foremost is time preference. Uh, when you're looking at trading, what you're doing, even if you're position trading, right? And position trading can sometimes be years. You're still looking eventually to exit an asset. You're, you're looking for that liquidity event. And with that liquidity event comes implication of taxes, among other things as well. Whereas when you're investing into something, my theory, and it's perhaps not a theory, but you know, supported in by other individuals as well, Michael Saylor being one of them, is that you invest not to sell, you invest to generate wealth from that asset in other ways. So with Bitcoin in particular, or whether it's a asset such as a house or a yacht or a boat, whatever the case might be, um, there's something called ELOC, uh, which is an equity line of credit. Um, similar to what HELOC is for your house, you can take out a second mortgage kind of as they call it, but you take out debt against an asset and you do that in perpetuity so that over time, your asset continues to grow in value. In fact, so much as to even pay the interest payments on this equity line of credit and maybe even the principal as well in time. So then you can access this via a debt instrument through, you know, whether it be uh, 
an investment bank or the case might be, you have to utilize the, the legacy ecosystem, unfortunately, for now, which is another thing that we're looking into, by the way. Um, but for now, you have to uh, access those legacy systems in order to take debt out against these assets, against these investments. And that's how you're able to capture that value, live it, use it, and then still have that grow in the background. So that's how I would say and frame investment versus trading. But if you were to even take a broader picture of that, trading is something that you actively do, and it's there to generate immediate return, immediate taxable return. Whereas investing, investing is way broader than just monetary needs for me personally. I like to think that investment is an, is, is an aspect of wealth creation. Trading is money creation, okay? You don't create wealth by trading. Investing, you create true wealth. And by that, I mean actual access to clean water, to whole quality foods, nutritionally dense foods, to jurisdictions that are valuable and able to provide you with the things that you need to do. Wealth is not just monetary, right? Wealth and investing allows you to, like if, if for example, if you um, invest time in understanding permaculture, right? You are making an investment of your time that will then pay back dividends that you never intend to sell. It's not like you're gonna sell that knowledge later on, but you're gonna use that to generate value for you in the, the result is fresh food, fresh quality food for yourself and your family. So that's how I, I would frame investing. It's, it's again, investing is not just financial assets. Investing is truly creation of wealth within your life. And you just dangled a carrot in that. <laughs> you were talking about the, the, the only way that you'll be able to uh, do that is to uh, access uh, the legacy system and, um, you know, debt instruments, but something else that you're looking into, what's, uh, what are you allowed yeah, to, uh, to disclose? Yeah, um, let's just say that there are a lot of companies right now that are providing services to specific types of individuals in the space that allow them to unlock value from their digital assets. Um, the digital assets in question in this in this in this case and how that happens isn't uh, yeah it, it isn't very favorable or user friendly for that matter but it's available so what we're trying to do is establish a similar type of process but for that to happen there is quite a long road ahead so again I'm teasing it but I, I don't want to give anybody any false hopes uh, it does require a lot of work and a lot of resources to be able to acquire the proper licensing in order to move into this direction, but also not go into the point where you become a legacy system yourself, right? So you have to find those right pathways, as we have always spoken about, to allow that to happen, but also not be encroached by the legacy ecosystem to the point of being swallowed up by it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really so interesting to watch all of this unfold. And, and before we start recording, I mentioned that uh, you're the second Nick back to back to come on the show. And I had Nick <laughs> Bartier on talking about his book, Layered Money. And uh, he, you know, talking about the financialization process of Bitcoin, with Bitcoin becoming the, you know, the you know, Bitcoin is the daddy now, right? That everything, instead of like dripping down from gold, the, the, the financial legacy system that we have in place, um, you know, that base layer originally being gold and then all of the derivatives, it is unrecognizable now to what it was in the beginning. 
What we're going to witness is, well, we've already got it. We've got the new base layer. We've got the new tip of the pyramid, as, as, Nick, as Nick calls it. We've already seen um, like at Lightning being the, the f one of the first financialization uh, processes you know, to make uh, micropayments very accessible and easy for everybody. We're seeing ETFs. We're seeing um, options markets, derivatives markets, futures markets. It's all happening, and it's all happening nice and slowly uh, until, you know, to quote Parker Lewis, gradually then suddenly, um, it's going to just snowball. And you guys, obviously, a keen eye on that, a very, very keen eye on that. That's, that's, that's our mission, right, is to be the bridge between the legacy system and the new financial rails of this Bitcoin ecosystem. And it's not an easy job, <laughs> I'll tell you that uh, outright, but it's a rewarding one. And we hope to be able to do this for, well, up until the point where perhaps the legacy system isn't even needed. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that facilitates itself in time. Yeah, for sure. All right, final question. If you had the ability to condense all of your knowledge about Bitcoin, everything you've learned over the last eight years, nine years, whatever it is that you've been uh, studying it, everything that you've learned from building this company and offering the services and uh, adding value to the, the community, condense that into one orange pill, who would you give that pill to and why? Oh, okay. Condensing into one very succinct statement, Bitcoin is freedom. Simple as that. Who would I give it to? As many people as possible. As many people as absolutely humanly possible, whether it be immediate family members, whether it be people that I don't know, anybody who is struggling right now, anybody who is being successful to protect that success moving forward. I honestly want, <laughs> want to give it to the world. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, no, um, no, that's, that's, that's not true. There is a certain group of people currently in the world right now um, that I would not want to give this to. And they are those that are purveyors of the current transition that we find ourselves in. Um, they don't deserve it. In fact, if they had it, they would only allow them more power and more control over the billions, sorry, trillions that have been stolen so far from the global economy. I'll leave off with this. If anybody is familiar with Catherine Austin Fitz and the Solari report, I highly suggest that you take a read at what she has available there. And she speaks to how these funds have been channeled over the last, well, ever since the end of the World War II into black black projects and outside of the US and it's been taken directly from the, the, the taxpayers pocket. So those people, I don't want them to have it because then they'll take that wealth that they created that they usurp and they'll actually be able to move it through time. And that's a, that's a scary thought. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I like it, mate. So we've got to kind of yeah, diffuse it into the, the waterways of, uh, of towns and communities, but um, keep it away from the grubby hands that have, uh, you know, been puppeteering this whole racket. Yeah, and I hope that's possible. I really do. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Well, we have the tool now. It's Bitcoin. It's here. We just need more and more people to, to learn about it. What can people do? To help you are, you, are you going to be hiring soon or you're 
like um how how are you going to expand is there anybody that you'd like to try and reach how can anybody that's listening that want to reach out and uh either one become a customer or two just help you out you know what this community is like somebody might be listening like i could help that guy you know in this particular way yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that question. In terms of hiring, we are fully staffed at the moment, although I'm sure that at least as we grow and expand, we will make that knowledge available through our social media and the such. Um, if people want to help us, honestly, just spread the word about us. Uh, and, and, and first, though, use us. Like, don't just be like, hey, I, I heard of these Bitcoin reserve guys, you should probably use them. No, like, you don't, not even because we want the revenue, simply because I wouldn't trust anybody that hasn't used a service to recommend it. So look at who we are, look at what we're about at the very least, uh, take a dive and then perhaps share it with a friend. If you are looking for partnerships, uh, particularly from an infrastructure perspective, we're always open to a conversation. There are institutions that we are working to establish ourselves with from always you know, banking and liquidity providers. It was a shout, although liquidity providers were kind of up to the hilt. I, I focus more on the banking side of infrastructure and merchant providers for payment ecosystems. That's one of the ways that we are looking to expand when we see real value is region-specific payments. So right now it's just EU SEPA basically for the flash trade and then SWIFT for USD for concierge and so on and so forth. But where our plans are is to go to region-specific payment processors and onboard those. So for example, in uh, South, in America, in South, uh, in Africa, they have M-Pesa, right? So they use everything from their phones and things like that. That's kind of what we want to do, but only for the European Union. Uh, within the EEA, there's uh, specific payment processors outside of Western Union that are very localized to certain areas. They're very efficient, they're very quick, and everybody's already onboarded with them. So we hope to formulate those party, uh, those partnerships and provide that value to our users to be able to you know, plug that in within a couple of clicks and utilize that as whether a means of withdrawal or deposit onto the platform. And then we are looking to actually incorporate any kind of third-party service that allows people to spend their Bitcoin. Um, even though it's not financial advice, we're not financial advisors, <laughs> but you should never spend your Bitcoin, in my opinion. Again, you should only take out credit against it. But if you were of the like mind where you do want to spend it, um, services that allow you to pay your bills in Bitcoin, purchase other types of things online, those partnerships, I think, uh, would also be very valuable. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's oh, there's people out there that you know live their day to day lives on on Bitcoin now, right? So the uh, these services right. are a hundred percent needed. Um, what uh, do you have any services for those people that are looking to do this that don't have the hardware wallets yet? Do you have anything in place with those providers where you can have them ship to them like very quickly, or is that you know, That's that, yeah. Those those are the partnerships that we're currently uh, bridging the gap with. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll put you in touch with the Shift Crypto guys to see if uh, they can help you out. Uh, they've awesome. they've they've got a cool wallet, and I should shill it because they sponsor the show. It's Bitbox, <laughs> <laughs> the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin only edition. Um, no, but they're very very cool guys, and I've had Douglas on the show as well, who's the CEO. Uh, so, all right, mate. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, unless there's uh, anything else that you feel as though uh, we've missed, or you'd like to add, or any final closing comments for um, for those that are listening. I think we covered it all. I, I'm looking forward to further discussions, you know, with, with people in the space and particularly when it comes to where we are headed as a society. And uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting journey. So everybody buckle up.
Sure. All right, Nick. Well, thanks so much for everything. And I'm sure you've got people thinking a lot about one, Bitcoin Reserve and two, jurisdictional arbitrage. There's going to be many more political refugees as this all plays out. And uh, it was great to learn a little bit about Montenegro. So uh, thanks for sharing. It's my pleasure. So you guys know where to find me. Just give me a shout. Thanks, Daniel, for your time. Cheers, Nick. Take care. Cheers. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Nick, for coming on the show. It was great to get to meet you and stay in touch with you since this uh, recording. Uh, I hope we can figure out some way for you to really open up the services that you're describing to the Britcoiners stuck in the uh, in the UK without access at the moment to your service, which uh, I think is going to become a very interesting prospect for uh, for people there. So if you've got any ideas, Britcoiners, reach out to Nick and let's see if we can help him uh, you know, solve the problem of not being able to serve people in the UK with sterling deposits just as yet. Uh, I really, you know, at this point about being a political refugee is going to keep coming up and up and it just doesn't seem to be letting up right now, does it, uh, around the world. So fingers crossed. But again, if you guys have any ideas or you want to start some lists and um, get more information out there about Bitcoin friendly countries or countries that are not going to lock down again and um, offer some basic human freedoms. Get them out there on Twitter. Uh, you know, don't don't hold back. Share the knowledge as Nick has done here. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening and rating, reviewing, retweeting, whatever it is you do to support the show. I really appreciate that. Thanks for the show sponsors. That's CoinFloor relay swan bitcoin and of course shift crypto go get yourselves a bitbox o2 wallet and take control of your keys